do you find the will to fight back against a world that wants to keep you sedated, average, and stuck in place? Join us for the tools and strategies you need to create a life of abundance, discipline, and high achievement. This, this, is, this is the Tactical Empire with Jeff Smith. Welcome to another edition of the Tactical Empire. And today we are here with Sean Ryder again. Sean, welcome. All right, let's go. We're going to be here doing these Thursdays with him every time. So I've got to figure out a better fucking intro for that because that was choppy and shitty. But uh, Sean, what's up, man? How what's are you? Up, man? I'm, I'm pumped. Uh, it's been a great week. So excited to, to jump right into these Thursday calls. So we had uh, some great topics come up and, and we're going to pick one for this episode and roll with it. Good, good, good. I wanted to talk today about um, infinite banking or overfunded high early cash value life insurance, um, something we're both pretty familiar with. Um, so I wanted to kind of do this episode on teaching and uh, understanding the mindset behind how you invest in these and like what you use them for and why why we think this is a preferred methodology for a foundational savings investment account. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we can start with just basically the infinite banking concept. What is it, right? Instead of going to Google and, and typing it in and getting a one person's opinion, uh, we have two people on this episode. So two is better than one. But at the end of the day, you and I are practitioners of the infinite banking concept. We are people who studied it, educated ourselves in it, surrounded ourselves by people who use it, um, and then ultimately chose willingly to uh, put our money into the system or utilize the system. So uh, at the foundation, the infinite banking concept is not a product to begin with. It is it is a money management system, but it begins with a philosophy. It begins with changing the way that you view money, how money should be stored and how it should be moved. So right there, that, that for a lot of people is intimidating and creates fear and is almost a hard stop because they've, they've never heard anything besides just typical traditional personal finance. But um, you know the foundations of it are similar to what people do. It's just, it's just tweaking the angle in which you think about money storage and money usage and money growth. Uh, but it is a, it is a thought process. It is a money management system on what am I doing with my money? Where am I putting it? How am I housing it? How much am I funding? Uh, why am I doing this? And ultimately how can I, this is taking it up 10 levels. How can I make my money do more than one job at a time. Uh, when I say traditional personal finance, usually it's one tool, one financial tool for one financial purpose. That is what the majority of people have been taught. That is what they believe. And that's why you see people have money in all sorts of different accounts because that account has one job. The infinite banking concept, looked at, look at the name, infinite. There are multitudes of different things you can do with it. And you can do more than one thing at one time. It serves more than one purpose. So blanket overarching is it is a different way to think about your money management system. Before I go any further, Jeff, you want to chime in on any foundational thoughts on just infinite banking concept before we talk about the actual product that it's tied to 99% of the time. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm just going to go with where my head went. Um, like, <laughs> When I, when I first learned about these products, I mean, I, I always thought there was unconventional investment vehicles. I, I, I just, that's how I'm wired. I, so I seek out what 
I see other people doing. I, I am confident that I still don't know what I don't know. And so that caused me to kind of go down the rabbit hole of what are entrepreneurs using to invest? What are what are these high net worth individuals using as investment vehicles, which led me to Garrett Gunderson and Wealth Factory and all kinds of stuff, um, probably 10 or 15 years ago. Um, but on its face, these things were super intimidating because like you have to relearn and rewire your brain on the way to think about things. Um, you, you have to rewire how you think about conventional investment strategies, qualified programs, things like that. So I, I don't really want to lecture on it, but I want to, I want to understand, or I want people to understand that there's fears associated with this change. Like as you educate yourself, you're like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Sean, how long did it take you to understand the concept before you were willing to jump into it? I researched it as hard as I could for nine months. And that's a that's a very long time as an adult <laughs> to, to research something. That's a full year of college semesters uh, back to back. And I mean, I consumed everything. You're talking about Garrett Gunderson and Wealth Factory. I read the books. I watched the YouTube channel. I mean, I think that was right when I brought my my first child into the world. And so, you know, we would do bath time. My wife would take the baby up and I would literally just pull up YouTube and and watch you know, uh, three or four 10 to 15 minute videos back to back to back before bed every single night for months on end. And I was trying to poke holes in it, man. Just like you, like, like I, I, I knew at that point in time when I was 29, I knew that I needed to do something different than with my money. I didn't want it tied to wall street. I couldn't articulate as to why I just, I just didn't like the up and down, even if I could, you know, talk myself into investing for the long term. it just fell out of my control. Yeah. I also didn't want to just house it in the banks. I was smart enough to know that that wasn't a good long-term strategy. Um, and so it just took that much time for me to feel comfortable with it. I was trying to poke holes in it. And now fast forward five years and I help people with it. I help educate them on it. And they're like, well, can you just cut to the chase and tell me how this thing can be detrimental to me? And like, I, I always respond, I'm not trying to be rude, but I spent nine months trying to poke a hole in it. Now I'm five years into it. If you find something, bring it to me because I have nothing. The biggest detriment is not the concept. It is not the product. It can be the product if you don't work with the right person. We can not yeah. glance over that. Um, but the biggest detriment is the person that's that's running the system. So if you get a divorce and and you're trying to split up and your divorce, your spouse's divorce lawyer wants you to liquidate something and, and you don't stand your ground, it could be liquidated there. If you get if you still get scared in in macroeconomic downturns and, and you quote unquote need money and you surrender your policy, that has nothing to do with the product or the concept. That's on the individual. So the biggest detriment is you and like you say, the the limiting beliefs that you have about finances. And so I really before I before I started moving a ton of my money into these things. I really took the time to wrap myself, um, wrap my mind around it. So it took nine months. Really good point you made there, though, that I don't want to like gloss over or not mention is that you have to have these policies written correctly for them to work as designed. And, and that's where the biggest bad rap about them is able like comes from because if you get a bad a bad policy written incorrectly for the cash value purposes, it, it, it is not a good investment. 
Yeah. This is not going to be all encompassing, but what does, you know, I read all the books too. And the most frustrating thing at that time was, well, what does that mean? What does a specially designed whole life insurance policy mean? And so there, there's obviously a lot of moving parts, but first and foremost, you need cash value on day one. If you get an illustration and there's zero cash value for one to two to three years, that's not the type of policy that you're using to accumulate cash. Remember cash accumulation for infinite banking is what we're aiming for because cash value is the asset to you. Cash value is the asset on your balance sheet. So you definitely want cash value. The question is how much? Well, that depends on the policy, the actual product from the life insurance company and what your ultimate short, medium and long-term goals are. But blanket statement here, anywhere from 65 to 92% cash value in year one is what I would deem a high early cash value life insurance uh, policy. You want to make sure it's with a mutual company. That means that the profits from the company get trickled down into the policy holders of whole life insurance policies. You most likely uh, do not want it to be a life insurance product tied to the stock market. That is where you're going to hear index universal life, universal life policies. This is a life insurance product that's tied to the stock market. You also want to make sure and talk to the agent about how quickly can I pull a loan? The answer should be as soon as you have cash value. And I told you already that you want cash value on day one. You want to make sure that when they run you an illustration and you say, hey, I'm going to dump 30 grand into it. And they say, okay, you're going to have $25,000 in cash value right away. Be like, as soon as I have $25,000 in cash value, can I pull a loan for 20, 21, 22,000? They have to give you a clear answer because a, a few people that um, are, are connected with me and, and, and use an agent that I didn't know got into policies, dumped 20, 30 grand into them, and then they go to pull a loan for, let's say, an investment property. And all of a sudden, they get told that they can't pull a loan until they have $100,000 in cash value. That's not how it should work. Yeah. You also want to make sure that the policy that you have when you pull a loan, it does not actually decrease the amount of interest or dividends that you're earning on your full cash value. This is direct versus non-direct life insurance. I know that's a little bit technical, but it's a, it's a non-direct life insurance policy where you can um, earn the full dividend on the full amount of cash value, even when you have an outstanding loan. That was my quick three, four, five uh, specific things that you want to look for when you're looking at a specifically designed policy. But let's talk about that. Okay. So we haven't, we haven't broke it down. We kind of, we kind of went real fast into yeah, this. Yeah. Um, so the benefits of this guys are that you're going to earn roughly six to six and a half percent interest on your money annually tax-free forever. <laughs> and so one of the things he mentioned was <clears throat> dividends on uh, money that's been lent out to you. So let's talk about th this is the, one biggest thing I think people don't understand is that if you've got $100,000 of cash value in your life insurance policy and you go to take a $100,000 loan, right, it's two separate things. And so if you've got your policy written correctly, your $100,000 should sit there and earn interest but you're pulling a second you're you're pulling a loan that the business is giving you the life insurance company is giving you a loan and that interest rate is generally lower than what you're earning. And that's, that's where the magic happens. Accurate. Because, because, go ahead. 
Yeah, when you when you pull up YouTube videos of people that are against the strategy or the product, they're going to say, "Why do I have to loan my own money to myself? Why do I have to pay interest on my money?" And that's a, that that means they're just ignorant, and haven't studied enough. This is not your money. These are two different monies. Your money again. Who is this for? This is for people that, at the bare minimum, want a forced savings plan that has guaranteed returns. I tell my people. Life insurance policies cannot go down in value. They do not even stay flat. They can only go up. So it's a forced savings plan with guaranteed interest and quote, non-guaranteed dividends, but mutual companies have paid them every year for 120 years, the top four. Okay. And when I pull a loan, that is not my money, my cash value, the asset that I own continues to earn the guaranteed interest plus the non-guaranteed dividends. And that return internally inside of the life insurance policy, one, it's growing tax deferred. And when you distribute it later on in life correctly, it's going to be tax free. So for general personal finance people, that's kind of like a Roth IRA, post-tax dollars, growing tax deferred and, and um, uh, distributed tax free. When I need a loan, which they will loan you about 90% of whatever your available cash value is, they're not giving you your money. Your money stays put, continues to earn. Like we said right now, about six, six something percent. Mm -hmm. The interest, the interest on those loans. Now you have two choices, fixed or variable. I go with variable because they're still lower uh, than the fixed options. And I don't see interest rates um, inside the life insurance policies going super, super, super high. Um, and if they do go high, it's probably because the life insurance companies are having greater returns, which means my dividends have the potential to go up. So again, not going to get having a side there. But my loan is a separate dollars. It's accruing interest, usually most likely at a lower rate than what I'm earning on a higher amount. So I'm already ahead, mm -hmm. right? How, how is this different than me having money in a brokerage and pulling a loan against it or putting my money in a brokerage then using traditional financing? Well, depends on what you're financing for. Your financing interest could be higher than what you're earning on your money, okay? Yep. Yep. And then we'll get to control who's in control of the loan process in traditional financing versus infinite banking. But I want my money to grow compounded and uninterrupted for as long as possible. So I'm not going to borrow my money. I'm going to borrow contractually. This is a loan provision. Life insurance policies are contracts. My contract says that I can ask for a loan of around 90% of my cash value. And uh, I'll take that all day long. So internally, I'm winning. I'm earning more than what that loan is accruing. And then the question is, what do I do with that loan? And, and that's where, you know, what you and I have done. We don't go and buy uh, non-valuable assets, non-cash flowing assets, depreciating assets. We want to buy appreciating cash flowing assets. So my total return is much higher uh, when I factor in the internal return and external return and add them together. That's where, like, I want to explain this for people in layman's terms to understand it, though. Like, let's say this is your 401k, because I came from the corporate world, I had a 401k. Um, if you contribute to that, when we're talking about the lending and the loan being separate from the, the savings side of things, um, it, with a 401k, if you have $100,000 in your 401k, and you want to take a loan on it, first of all, you can only get like 40%, 50%. And there's all these rules and stipulations uh, along what you can take it for, like a first home down payment or something else. But for simplicity's sake, to understand it, let's say you pull $100,000 out of your 401k because you take a hardship loan or something like that. That $100,000 gets removed from the market during that period of time. And they do not 
expose it to interest earning opportunities until you pay it back. And so you lose all of that upside. Let's say it takes you 10 years to pay back your 401k. I don't think you can take that long, but the rules <laughs> behind it mandate that you pay it back sooner. But you don't get to earn, you don't get to take advantage of that earned interest during that period of time while the loan is deployed. Whereas a life insurance policy just chugs along at that 6% the whole time. And that's why the interesting story with uh, what would the Rockefellers do, like the the families that have created like legacy, legacy wealth, like the most wealthy families in the world used this product for years and, and it's allowed them to grow these massive fortunes because they haven't been exposed to the Richter scale of the stock market, the Richter scale of like the up and downs of economic downturns. Most of those guys mentioned in that story, most of those families, the Rockefellers, the Carnegie's, uh, one's escaping me with a V. Uh, um, Vanderbilt. Yes, the Vanderbilts. They all had their fortunes in these policies through the Great Depression and were able to utilize their money to pick up discounted assets and things like that. So if you think about the advantages you have to be able to be the ultimate decision maker with your money, it for me once I dug in and understood the educational side of how to utilize them, it they spoke to me on a, a, a deep, deep level because of the freedom and responsibility that they provided in my hands. Um, yeah. It allows me to be the, the purveyor of my destiny. And, and that's how I prefer to operate my life with. <laughs> so um, I'm not beholden to the underwriting process of the banks once you build enough cash value in these things. And so if you if you enjoy freedom and personal responsibility, these policies are an excellent financial tool for you and your family. Yeah. I mean, a few little things that, that you said there. One, control. Two, remember when he, he said their money, when he was talking about the, the wealthy family, their money. If you're listening to this, where is your money? And just because your name is on the account doesn't mean it's your money yet. So let's just go back to that 401k. Let's say hypothetically, and I'm doing air quote, hypothetically, my wife has $300,000 in a 401k. Her name's on the account, right? Well, whose money is it? Well, it has yet to be taxed and she's not 59 and a half yet. So if someone has $300,000 in a 401k, and they have yet to be taxed and they're not 59 and a half. Well, you can just go ahead and write off that 40% of that is not theirs because it's going to go somewhere else if they want to touch it before 59 and a half. Um, so you can't even say from a balance sheet perspective that your entire 401k is yours if, it, if it's a pre-tax, if it's not a Roth 401k. Um, secondly, when you're playing by someone else's rules, it's not a fun game to play. And so, like you said, the, I believe the federal law is, and each 401k, whoever's holding your account will have their own stipulated rules on what you can do with loans. But a federal law, I believe is, and, and again, none of this, don't hold me to it, but 50, you can only take a loan against a 401k of 50% of the value with a maximum of $50,000. So for those of you math wizards out there, that means anyone that's got a, over $100,000 in a 401k, you're capped at a loan of 50%. So again, whose money is it? 
if you're 30 and you have a hundred grand in account, go, let's just do an ROI of eight, 8% average until I'm 59 and a half. Fantastic. But that's not your money until then. So who's doing what with it until then what's happening with it. And for me, like that game didn't make sense anymore, especially from an entrepreneur's perspective. Even if you're not a business owner, entrepreneur, and you're a high W2 income earner, and you're looking at adding investments to your portfolio that you want to cash flow, every dollar you tie away is a dollar that doesn't get you closer to your cash flowing goals between now and retirement. And so for me, it became, how do I keep my money in my control? And at the end of the day, the cash value life insurance policies, I have access to the cash value. I don't want to liquidate the cash value. I don't want to surrender the policies, but I have loan provisions that are just as good as the, basically the full amount of the cash value. And I can pull those loans. Um, you know, the life insurance companies have you know, enough time to give you the loan. They could take a little bit of time, but from my experiences over the past three years, every time I've pulled a loan, I've had the money within 72 hours. Yeah. Same. That's same. quick. That's fast. Now, if we want to dive into what those loans look like, and we talk about control there, there is no forced payment plan. There is no schedule of payments. There is very little to no paperwork. I pull my loans from an app on my phone with the life insurance company. I answer three to five questions. So go ahead. The reason that these are important, guys, because if you think about it, that what's mind blowing is it's 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 a lot to wrap your head around. I understand. And Sean's dropping the like technical license language on you. And so let, <laughs> the the thing that's mind boggling to this and, and I'm going to ask you this and then we'll wrap this episode up. But like the thing that I learned over time is I got more comfortable. Two things. One, they were scary as hell on the way in because like it feels like a huge obligation because and, and I hear this from everybody that's trying to learn about them because they're like, holy shit, I'm going to open a $50,000 policy. Where am I going to come up with $50,000 a year post tax dollars or forever? And um, and that's the wrong way to think about them. And so and, and I, I say that as someone <laughs> who thought that way. Right. And so like you just need to dip your toe in and get started so you can see how they work because essentially what you'll learn over time is that really it's all about spending as much time with the bank active the 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 policies active as you possibly can and to continue to expand them um because so like for instance Full transparency, the very first policies I bought, I only bought $10,000. I bought one $10,000 policy because I was like, I came out of the corporate world. I was like, okay, I'm maxing out my 401k. At the time, I think 401ks were 15,000 or something or 16,500 or something at the time. And so for me, that felt like a lot. And so I was like, I'll do a $10,000 policy because uh, it felt like a big commitment. And then, and then I started just stacking those. So I bought three $10,000 policies to get started in the same, in the first year, I ended up buying three of those because I understood more and more after I got put it, after I got started putting the money in there, how quickly and accessible the money was. And then I got started with an eye-opening experience of all the different things I could use it for. And so now this is what I'm talking about, about just living in them and expanding them more and more. So now I'm to the point where I'm putting all of the property taxes for all of our real estate into my life insurance so that it sits there a year in advance and I am essentially the escrow bank for our properties. And then at the 
beginning of next year, I'll write a check for all the property taxes and we'll use the money from the rental income to fund those property taxes again. And in the meantime, we've got this huge pot of money sitting there earning 6% on your money. So there's, there's a lot of different things that you pay for on a yearly basis or an annual basis or a car or something like that, that once you understand that all you have to do is open these policies and fund them first and allow that to happen before you go get the asset or the thing or pay the bill, then you start understanding how you're getting that cyclical rate of money that we otherwise don't have access to as individual citizens. What do you use yours for that you didn't anticipate when you initially got into this, Sean, or, or if anything? At the end of the day, I was an entrepreneur that was solely focused on growing my business. And I, you know, I was in a very fortunate that, you know, the cash flow we had was, was pretty good uh, back in 2018, 19. And, and going into 20 and it was like, I didn't have a reti- quote, quote, retirement plan. So there's still that, that, that dirty word, but I, I wanted something that would allow me to fund something without having to think about it. Uh, now people say they do that with their retirement accounts, but if it's going down, you're going to be thinking about it. Think of how many people freaked out when, when the market dropped 30% at the beginning of the lockdowns in 2020, I didn't even want to think about that. I wanted to solely focus on my business. So I, I was putting it in there as a glorified retirement account because it allowed me to put a lot more money in than a Roth IRA. Um, Roth IRA, post-tax dollars, gross tax-free, distributed tax-free. Love that. I don't want to defer the tax equation to the future. So that's what I started with. I knew some of the things I could do with it, but I wasn't intrigued in that until fast forward three years. And then I did start using my policies for uh, buying real estate. Uh, and that's where you get the, the higher returns on investment when you're, when you're doing the external returns on using the loan provisions. But I also know what I can do with it, right? I can pay my taxes, just like you said, any tax I want, because I can pull a loan for anything. I can pay for a vacation if I want. I can pay for an emergency if I want. When my kids get old enough, if they choose to go to college or if they choose to start a business and they need money for college or they need money for a business, I can be the bank. I can loan the money to them. Um, I'm I think I'm going to get out of this, but you know, uh, my commercial building is running to a snag with a potential modernization of the elevator. That is a huge chunk of cash. Where can I get some of that money? Well, if I don't have outstanding loans and I have available loan balances, I can pull a loan from my life insurance company or from my life insurance loans, uh, lend it to my real estate LLC, increase the uh, value of my property and use the cash flow of the property to pay my loan back to myself and then pay my life insurance policy back. Any type of huge liability you have that you take care of uh, regularly it mm. is a great idea to throw into these. So if you're running a big business and you pay quarterly taxes, like you can fund these things so that your business taxes are rolling through there and then lend it back. You, you need to talk to your accountant about it, obviously, and it needs to be a seamless process with the payback and the investment. Uh, but like, if you start thinking that way about the big checks you're writing anyway, and the ability to store that in your family's kind of account, and and you become the bank. This is also an excellent product if you're trying to come out of the four hundred one or four hundred one k. If you're trying to come out of the W two world and get into entrepreneurial the entrepreneurial world, like funding these things to fund your first business 
or something like that is also a super smart way to go about doing it. Because like Sean said, it, I mean, 70, 80, 90% of what you're putting in is, in is available in those first few years. So as opposed to having this monster 401k that everybody has when they cut ties with their W-2 job, you've got this thing you've been planning for a few years and you have access to all of the cash and to be able to fund whatever you're doing next. So I, I think it's a great tool for business owners and people trying to come out of the workforce as well. We are a country built on finance. You're either losing interest or you're paying interest. And so access to capital is the greatest asset to anyone that's actually trying to do anything outside of the norm. And right now, the norm in the United States is not sexy. So I don't know anyone that would want to be normal or average. So if you're trying to have interest always flowing into your, your account, into your financial life, into your foundation, your money management system, to go back to the beginning, this concept and product is for you. If you're someone that's going to need capital in the future, and here's the kicker that we haven't clarified. You don't want to have to liquidate your growing assets in order to fund the next project. This is where we talk about velocity of money, the cyclical, cycling the money in and out. That is infinite banking. Then this is for you, always having access to capital. I know we're tapping out on the on the top 30 minutes, but I, I want to wrap up with this. And then Jeff, you can throw in any thoughts you have on this. If if I know I did get I did get technical and then Jeff started talking about paying property taxes with his policy. So there we go. But if you're if you're like, where do I even start? Here's what I can tell people. There's no one perfect way. You can write these things a million different ways positively as well. If I was sitting on, hypothetically, let's say you've been a good steward of money and you've saved 30 grand because that's your quote unquote emergency fund, which is the base foundation of personal finance. Emergency funds are great. But if they're in something that's not growing, then it's dead money. If you have 30 grand sitting in an account that's been there for five years and it hasn't grown and you're putting 400 bucks into it a month, if you take the next one, two, three years, and you convert that 30 grand into a high early cash value life insurance policy in year one. And then you commit, you don't have to commit to 30 grand a year forever. You can be 30 grand a year in year one. You transfer that money into a life insurance policy. That's still your emergency fund because you have access to capital within 48 hours with loan provisions. And then you take the same $400 that you've been giving to the bank who's paying you nothing. And if you borrow from them, they're going to charge you more than what they're paying you, regardless of what interest rates are right now on, on savings accounts. The, the interest rate on financing is much higher from the banking system. Take that 400 bucks and make that your annual premium every month, 400 bucks a month. So like five, six grand a year. Yep. Yeah, whatever it is. Like you could, in the next two to three years, you're going to have 40, 50, $60,000, depending on what you're funding it with and the structure of the policy that you can leverage. You don't have to knock it out of the park with a hundred grand in year one. Okay. I went bigger because it took me nine months to, to wrap my mind around it. So I, I ended up swinging for the fences, but that's where you see people own more than one policy. They start with five, 10 grand, get their feet wet. And then after a couple months, they see the mechanics of it. Maybe they pull a little loan to pay off a credit card bill at 19% and they pay themselves back 5%. Now they know what it feels like. At that point, they start expanding their system. And, and most people listen to the podcast. You might have downturns on what your cash flow looks like. Um, you might, if you're a W2 earner, you might lose a job or transition. So you might have a month or two without income, but guys, trust yourself. You're always going to come into money. You're going to get uh, inherited. You're going to get inheritance. You're going to get gifts. You're going to get a better paying job. You're going to level up your education. You're going to expand your business. You're going to get headhunted from a, a bigger company and they're going to pay you more money. You're going to come into more money, especially if you're listening to this podcast, trusting yourself, you will need to expand your system in the future.
one thing we didn't touch on at all, um, but I, I'm not trying to take this any longer, but like it, it also buys death benefit for you, of course, because it's a life insurance policy. So when you talk about building your empire, which is why we're here, uh, like it, it protects your family's future with the death benefit being in place. The the cash value side of it and the banking side of it is just a bonus because you are setting your family up with the safety of providing that death benefit that's inevitably going to come to them at some point and it flow into your estate. So like you cannot take loans that jeopardize that death benefit. It, it's, it's over and above anything that they'll ever lend to you no matter what. So, um, We'll hit on this topic again. This is level three of the seven levels to wealth and financial freedom that we teach in our group. Um, it's cash flow system, establishing your cash flow system. This is just our cash flow system that we choose to use. Um, guys, thank you for listening. Sean, where can they find you at? Uh, either Facebook, but the fastest way might be Instagram, Sean, S-H-A-W-N underscore writer, R-I-D-E-R underscore. Hit me up with a DM. Um, that's the fastest way. Awesome. Guys, I hope this was helpful. We are going to be doing some more educational content out here. So if you have questions, let us know. If we can help you with anything, please let us know. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. We'll, we'll, we'll see you. We'll see you on the next episode. Next episode of the Tactical Empire.